I um, came across a little story. It's sort of humorous. It's anecdotal. But it's looking at sharing. You know, in church life, we, we, we look to share in the good things. Though we share in the love of God. We share in the, the, the forgiveness of God in our lives. We share in the power of the Holy Spirit. We seek to be united in our heart and vision. And this idea of sharing. And this is a, a little story. It's humorous. But uh, on... on, on sharing everything. And it was about a little old couple and they walked slowly into a fast food restaurant and um, as they walked in, a younger couple was sitting and watching them from a nearby table. And they looked at them um, admiringly as they shuffled in and they came in together. And the husband whispered to his wife, look, look at that, uh, that, that couple. Uh, I bet they've been through a lot together. They've, they've been together um, a long, long time. And uh, the little man, the little old man, walked right up to the cash register and placed his order for the meal. It was a fast food restaurant. And um, the couple took a table near the back, uh, the back wall and started um, taking food off the tray. So the little old man went up to the you know, the register, ordered his, his happy meal, whatever it was, and uh, went back and sat with his wife at a, a, a table at the back there. Now, what he had, what he'd ordered, and what they had observed, this younger couple have observed, was uh, there was one hamburger, and one order of French fries, and one nice little drink as well. And the little old man unwrapped um, the plain hamburger, and carefully and wonderfully, neatly, he cut it in half and placed one half in front of his wife and kept a half for himself. Then he carefully counted out, can you imagine him, counting out the little French fries and uh, gave her half and he placed um, his half in front of him and divided it into two piles and neatly placed it in front of each other. He took a sip of the drink and... um, he then offered it to his wife. Oh, wasn't that lovely? And this younger couple were watching them together. And um, can you imagine? It's the Sanders out for a meal together. It's Dave and Sally. <laughs> I know, I'm being really naughty now. You can get me back later. And you're sitting there watching them thinking, oh, what a look, they're lovely. They're, they, well, they are, they are a lovely couple, aren't we? We know that, and we know that, we love them. But uh, here they were, and everyone in this couple, this younger couple was saying, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that now. <laughs> so this couple said, ah, oh, you know, this is really lovely. So he divided, so they took the drink and he gave, gave her the cup. He had a sip and she had a sip. Now, um, so the man began to eat a few bites of his, his hamburger, the, the little old man, and the younger couple began to be bothered. They were watching them, as you do. You know when you're, you're out, you're, everyone's around you. You always end up looking at other people when you're out at a restaurant, don't you? And seeing what they're doing. Yeah, you're laughing because you do do it yourself. I know you do. I do it. My wife does it all the time and says, look at that. <laughs> And uh, so, and, but the younger couple began to be bothered. And um, the woman said to the man, all they can afford, that's all they can afford. Bless them, look at that, just between them. Love them. And uh, that's all they can have to between the two of them. Now, so her husband, um, being a sympathetic sort of guy and his heart really being moved and thinking, oh, I love them, they're, they're just really lovely. He stood up and walked over to the old couple and he politely offered uh, to buy another meal. So they could have a meal for two, you know, a meal each. You know, that's the least he could do. And he politely didn't want to be funny about it, but he did it in a really nice way and was polite about it. And the old man replied, that, no, no, that they were fine. They were used to sharing everything. It was okay, so no, no problem. So he went and sat back down, this, this uh, chap, and after a few minutes, um, the ma- this young man noticed that the, um, the little old lady hadn't eaten a thing. 
She just sat there. And uh, he just, uh, she just sat there watching her husband eat and occasionally taking sips as they took it in turns to share this drink together. And so, uh, again, his wife's silent urging, you know, guys, it's the, in the side, you know, you need to do something, you need to do something. He went up and begged the older couple if he could really buy, please, he said, let me buy you something. You know, it really disturbs me to see you, you know, not, not eating together. So this time, the lady explained to them that they were used to sharing everything. You know, it's okay, she said, you know, don't worry, I really thank you, you're so kind at being kind, but don't you worry, please, you know, we, we, we're used to sharing everything. So the little old man finished eating and um, he wiped his face neatly with his napkin and, and was wiping his face. And, and, and the young man could stand it no longer. He, you know, the little old lady was still sitting there and she, she you know, wasn't, wasn't eating. And so again, you know, really now, he was beside himself, this young guy. He could not just sit there. He said, I can't just sit and watch this. I've got to do something, you know, as, as you do, you know. And so he went over, this is the third time now, beside himself, and he went over to the table and offered them to buy some food. Now, after being um, politely refused again, and he finally asked the question to the little old lady, because she said, no, no, no. Well, okay, thank you. So he said, he said, ma'am, madam, why aren't you eating? You said that you share everything. What on earth are you waiting for? And with that, she answered, the teeth. <laughs> Not that we're going to cause you and ask you. Yeah, you just got it now. Yeah, I don't realize. <laughs> so it is definitely is not the Sanders family. It's definitely not. You hear I'm saying this. It's definitely not the Sanders family. But um, not that we're asking you to go that far in our brotherly love and sharing in the things of God together. Turn with me to the book of Ruth, please. And uh, we're going to look at this together. I want to speak on the power of passionate perseverance. There is power in passion for Jesus Christ. There is power in a passion for God. There is power released in your life and my life and my family and your work, your livelihood, your home, your lives of our children, our church, your, your own personality, your body. When there's passion, when we are passionate for God, when we're passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ and the cause of Christ, there is a tremendous power that can be released in your life and my life. And from this story that we're going to look in the life of a lady called Ruth, we're going to look at her passion the part that it played in her life and how it changed the very course of her life because God intervened in his providence. When there's passion, God's um, um, providence um, enters our lives. His purpose, I mean. The hand of God enters your lives in response to our passion. His purpose is released in our lives. And it's that that I want to talk about for a few moments um, this morning. Um, when I've been speaking over the holiday period, I've come to a bit of a break. I've come aside from speaking on the book of Corinthians. You know, if you in the, here in the life of the church, you know that I've taken a series called um, Character and Charisma in the book of Corinthians, and I will be returning to that. I haven't forgotten about that. Come September, I shall pick up that again with a vengeance, and we shall be really running with that. 
But um, during the holiday period, and particularly in August, I've come aside, and so I've shared a number of messages, and they're building up to our vision day. If you notice in church news, your little news sheet that you've got, on the 11th of September, we're having a vision Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, I'm sharing the same message. So if you miss it Sunday morning, don't miss it. Don't miss September the 11th, Vision Sunday. I shall be sharing, I'll say more in the future, but some exciting possibilities that we're about to look to embrace as a church. I'm going to go public on some things. And uh, casting the vision that we have for our future. So that's Sunday morning on the 11th of September. I shall repeat it again Sunday evening if you missed the morning. So share it with friends that you know right now that aren't around because of the holiday period. But in building up to that Vision Day... I've um, specifically come aside, and so I've shared a number of messages. And so um, a few weeks ago, I, um, I looked at, at, share, at, um, at moving beyond our abilities. You know, um, God being more than enough and more than capable to do more than what we could ever achieve in ourselves. How to live beyond your means. And by that I meant how we can live beyond human ability. And so I shared a message a couple of weeks back based on a man called Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says God. And so I'm building a case, building up to Vision Day. And if you, you can go online, you can go onto our website. We're just about to be releasing a new website. If you go on our original, it might be down at the moment. But you can listen to all of the messages for free and download them for free. If you have a smartphone, you can, if you, whatever smartphone you go, if you've got particularly an iPhone, you can go onto iTunes and download. You can actually call up our church on iTunes and it will actually have all the messages totally for free. Uh, you can do that too. So just want to make those available to you. But how to live beyond our means and living in God's ability was something that we looked at based on Zechariah chapter 4, a man called Zerubbabel, when God said, not by might, by power, by my spirit, says the Lord. And then in the evening, a couple of weeks ago, I looked on a similar theme and I took up the theme from Numbers chapter 14, dare to be different. If you weren't around on Sunday night a couple of weeks ago, I looked at the spirit of Caleb. He was a man who dared to be different. We need to have a different spirit from the age in which we live if we're to achieve the things that God has mapped out for you and me. And so I shared, and it complemented my message on how to live beyond our means, looking to dare to be different. Numbers 14, the Caleb spirit, and embracing God's spirit of possibilities. Caleb had a spirit of spirit of God, whereby he embraced the possibilities of God. Have a look at that, Um, and it, it sort of builds our case. Now this morning... And again tonight, I should be sharing something, but this morning I'm looking at Ruth, the power of passionate perseverance, knowing the presence of God and the possibilities that that releases. And tonight, on Derby Road, our, our meeting, I'll be looking at, and looking at your past not being your future. How the past doesn't need to cling on and pull us back, but there is an amazing future in God. There's a destiny and purpose for every single one of us in God. And you can embrace amazing things. Sometimes people find that things can pull us back and pull us down. You might feel feel that you've blown it or you've lost it with God. You've lost your way. But we can embrace an amazing destiny. I'm speaking about that tonight. So I'm building a case There's method in my madness, perhaps, moving towards the 11th on Vision Day. So this is where I've been going, and this is where we're going this morning. So Ruth, and um, chapter 1, verse 1. Read with me. I'm reading from the NIV, and you can listen if you prefer. It says, In the days when the judges ruled... 
There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. Wow, try saying that first thing in the morning. Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrahites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Moab? Where's Moab, you say? Moab is roughly where Jordan is in the modern world today. So it's sort of next door to the state of Israel today, Palestine. Okay. Now, Elimelech, um, Naomi's husband, died and she left uh, and was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's significant. We'll look at that because in the east, if all the males died in the family, you were in trouble. Today in India, I'll I'll mention that a bit later, it's the same thing. Verse 6. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, that's back home, providing food for them. Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from there, prepared to return home. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown uh, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband um, tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Very important that verse. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? 
Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. It means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. It means like salty bitterness. That's what the word means. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Bereft, in other words. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought this misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Story of Ruth, a story of possibilities, and it's that that we're going to look at this morning. Now, we've read chapter one of a whole story, as time permits us only really to read that whole chapter. Uh, It's worth having a look. I encourage you, it's a short book, and have a look at the whole book, because it's from this that we're going to lift some principles for life today. But in the background to what we've just read, Elimelech, a man, and his wife Naomi, they flee um, Judah. They flee the the land of Israel to a place called Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. Uh, At the time, Israel was going through a famine. It was a, a time of difficulty, and so they fled to Moab, because it would be a place where they could settle. And during that time, with their two sons, they settled in that land. And um, during that time, their sons married um, young girls, young women from that land. They were Moabites. And that was a challenging thing to do because God's commandments were for the Israelite people that you were to marry only the chosen Israelite people. You did not marry from the land. So that was a pretty big step for them to to make as a family, but so they did. It would have been a challenging thing to do, um, an amazing thing to do, um, a difficult thing to do in the climate of the day, but so they did. And anyway, during that time, um, uh, Naomi lost her husband. Her husband, Elimelech, dies. He passes away. Um, That would have left them in a very difficult position. Um, when um, the, the head, the male, the head of the, the family, the clan, the home um, dies and passes on, it's a challenging time. Um, very, very difficult because he was the one who had provided for. And um, in, in that environment and, and in those days, it would have been a very difficult time. But she at least had her sons, two other males in the home. And, and so all the, the honor and, um, would have, and the leadership of the home would have gone then to those two sons for the whole family with their wives and for their clan, as it were. But uh, over, in 10 years, as 10 years passed, the two sons passed away too leaving them as a family bereft. Because in the East, if you lost your husband, that would have meant you were almost been like being accursed um, and you lose your livelihood, but at least they had their sons. But then when they lost their males, their sons, it was as if a curse was upon them. They would have been bereft, had no livelihood, no provision. To us today, challenging, that would have been a challenging environment, but in, in the East, and to this day, if in a place like India, if you um, go to India, the old people's home that we sponsor as a church, the Oasis um, Home for the Elderly uh, in India that we sponsor, is full of people who've been cast aside because either their, their, their husband has died or their wife has died, and the family say, we can't, we're not going to care for you anymore. The amount of people. There was a, a couple. Um, there was a lady there whose husband died and her family cast her from the home and left her on the street. You would think that's an evil thing to do. It actually happens. It, it, sort of Eastern culture. 
And this is what Naomi faced. We met this lady. And I'm sure that Jessica has probably met the same lady now and the Youth for Christ team. And this lady was so thankful that she had a, 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 a home over her head. I was saying thank you to Oasis Christian Center for sending money so that I have a, a, a home, a house. I've got a roof over my head for my family left me on the street to die. It's incredible. Heartbreaking. And uh, this is what would have happened to Naomi. But she had her, her boys to look after. But when they passed away... They were in trouble. They were in trouble. They were going to be left on the street to die. And this is why she decides to, to do something with her life. Because she was going to die in Moab. There was no food anyway. She at least go back to the, her, her country of her origin. Hopefully meet up with someone. And she heard that God was providing food in that country again. But you can see the, the dire consequences. The bitter situation that they were in as a um, family. And she changes her name. Such is the bitterness of her situation. In verse 20 when she does go back. Um, to the, uh, her own country, and they say, ah, it's Naomi. She says, no, I've changed my name. It's Mara. It's bitter. My name is now bitter. She was really upset. She was, she'd become embittered. You can under, probably understand why. God has left me, forsaken me. It's it, the circumstance of life. Even upon the people of God, we can be battered by life and circumstance, can't we? It's easy to become embittered uh, in life, but with the way life has treated us and treated you, me and treated you. And we see with poor Naomi, she changes her name, says, my name is Mara, I've become embittered by life. God has left me. How easy it is, the, the, the challenge that comes to us all when circumstance doesn't go our way, when we're buffeted, being treated badly by a parent perhaps, or a, a caregiver, and life has been bad for us, we feel that God has left us. Maybe sickness comes our way, maybe something happens in our work, I don't know what it is for you, but different things can come our way in life, and for Naomi, she had become embittered. Now, you could say to yourself, well, it's probably, you know, we, there, but for the grace of God, you and I are standing or sitting here today. Maybe we would end up in a situation like that ourselves. Everything had been taken from her. She had nothing in life. But we'll look at um, another uh, woman uh, in a moment or two, Ruth, who seemed to be protected in the midst of all of this. And she was supposedly a pagan. She was a Moabite. Now, this is interesting. We'll look how she was so different and what happened in her life. But this is the background, and this is what um, was happening in their lives. And so the two daughters, Naomi says to the two daughters, to Orpah and to Ruth, I give you the opportunity, go back. I've got to go back to my homeland now. I've got nothing here. Um, God has forsaken me here. I'm going to go back to my homeland and hopefully find something there. But you, you are the people from Moab. You're from Moab. I've got nothing I can give you. I've got no sons. I've got nothing in my life. I'm I'm fruitless. What she was basically saying was, I'm not able to give you anything financially, but also, also I'm not able to produce children. I am fruitless. I have nothing. I am destitute. That's where she is. So she says, I leave you and release you. You don't have to care for me. I'm going to take my chance. I'm going to go back to my homeland. I'm releasing you. And that's where we start this story and this account. And it says in verse 14, when she says this, I release you, it says there that Orpah kissed her and said goodbye and turned back to go back to Moab. But it says of Ruth, it says that Ruth clung to her. Do you notice that? Look at verse 14. It says Orpah kissed her and then she goes back. But it says of Ruth, something different about Ruth. It says that Ruth 
clung to her. The picture is she absolutely puts her arms around her. It's like she's probably clinging to her legs, put her arms around her tummy and clinging to her legs. And, and Naomi's like dragging her. You, you ever see a little, a little child um, it, clinging to mum or dad in a shop? When they're moving on. Have you ever seen that? You've been out shopping and you see the children just clinging on. And they've been told, we're not, we're not going to look at those toys. And you begin to walk away. So they cling on to their parent to say, I want to stay here. I'm going to stay with this. It, that's the sort of picture of uh, Ruth. She's clinging on. And I want to make this uh, statement. So there's three things I want to look at. Passion, first of all. Perseverance. And third thing, possibilities that come from this story. There's passion which releases a sense of perseverance, and with perseverance comes possibilities. Three things. We see, first of all, passion. It says, Orpah kissed her goodbye and turned back, but Ruth clung to her. She held on. I want to make this statement. There's a difference between affection and passion in the Christian walk. There is a vast difference between affection and passion. We see in Orpah great affection, she kissed her. There was love there. There's affection. But then she said goodbye and went her way. But with Ruth, we see passion. She clung to her mother-in-law. There's a difference. She clung. With affection, it lets go and turns back. With passion, we cling on and move forward into the things that God has for us. And there's a difference between affection in our lives for God and passion for God. They're both good things to have affection, but there's something deeper. It's called passion. And it's that that I want to lay hold of just for a moment or two. And we see this in Ruth's life. She was a woman of passion. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. But it causes her to cling on, to hold on, to put her arms, smother, stay with, not let you go. Affection says, it's a kiss, and then it walks away. But with passion, we cling on and enter the possibilities that God has for us. And if you and I are to enter the th- possibilities that God has for you, and he's got amazing possibilities for you, there's potential in your life, there's all of God's possibilities in your life and livelihood and in our church, then it's passion that causes you and I to put our arms around the Father and he puts his arms around you and he holds on to you and holds on to me. And it's passion that takes you, it's that clinging on that takes us through difficult times because Ruth was to go through a difficult time. The story that we read didn't come to pass in just a week or a month. It took many months and it would have been a, it would have took a, a few months probably to actually get back from Moab to home anyway. Um, this was a, over a length of time, and it was Ruth's passion that took her through challenging times, uh, clinging on. You know, the word passion is a, a Latin uh, word. It's evidence in Ruth clinging. Um, it, the word passio means, it has two parts to it, love and sacrifice. When we speak of having passion, and being passionate for God, or passionate for Jesus, or passionate about your job, or passionate about the football team that you support, or whatever it is that you love. You, you, you meet people that live and breathe something. They're passionate, aren't they? The word passio has two parts. It's a Latin word, and it, it literally means love and sacrifice. There's the two parts to it. Um, we see in Jesus Christ, when the, de- the death and resurrection of Jesus is re- 
referred to in Christian uh, theology as the passion of Christ. Interesting, that. You have what we call passion plays around about Easter time. There's a famous one in Germany, isn't there? They're all around the world. And the idea of passion is this idea of love and sacrifice. And so when we see people who are passionate, they're, they're prepared to love and to give something. Give themselves. Give everything. That's the sacrifice. And we see in Ruth this passio, this love and sacrifice, this giving of a complete self. I'm going to hang on to you. I'm going to go with you. And through thick and thin, although you've got nothing to offer me, Naomi, you can't offer me children. You don't promise me anything. I'm going to stay with you. And we see that Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Whatever you do, I will do. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to cling on to you. You'll cling on to me. We're going to be in this together. There's passion There's something about love and sacrifice in her heart. And it's love and sacrifice. It's this sense of passion in the the heart of you and I that we can learn. You can't work at it. It's something that is loosed within us that causes you and I to hold on to God and God to hold on to you. And this is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. He died for you. Such is the passion of Christ for you. Such is the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. Yeah, you, sitting where you're sitting right now, for me. It says that God so loves the world that he gave his one and only very best son that he might die and be raised for you. Even though you walk away from me, Adrian. That's passion. That's passion. And so you see that affection kisses and walks away. But passion clings and moves forward. And so we see this in um, Ruth's life. It's love that gives. It's a love that gives. Now, passion is something that can be released, and it's something for you and I. We read of the early church that the um, early believers were zealous. There was a real sense of a zeal in their hearts. There's this idea of passion. You read the book of Acts, you you sense a sense of passion, don't you? And zeal. Um, It it, it comes in Acts chapter 2, where it says the early church, Acts 1 and 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. This idea of devotion is, carries this idea of passion and zeal. It, we see this, and there's something about this. Anyway, moving on to the second thing. So passion um, seems to not, not be carried by events. Affection is carried by events, but passion turns back events. Something about passion that can change the tide. Affection is carried by the tide. And so with Orpah, she affectionately kissed her mother and then walked back. The circumstance had got to her, so she's going to make the best of it, I suppose. But passion changes the tide, turns back the tide. Ruth said, I will go with you. We'll step in this together. We'll see something different. She didn't know what that different would be. You see, passion can change the tide. Affection, can you see that there is a level of Christianity? There's a level, there's a depth of Christianity. It can be affectionate that goes with the tide. You know, we're being told we're about to face a double-dip economy. We're being told, beware, beware, beware. It's all gloom and doom. It's quite depressing when you hear that this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You're not going to have this. You won't be able to achieve that. Hold back on this. Hold back on that. That, if we're just affectionate, we will be carried by the tide. But if we are passionate, if we cling, if we hold on to God, if we hang on to the God of possibilities, we'll go where the God of possibilities goes. And this is what Ruth did. Second thing then, perseverance. Moving on. 
The second thing that we see is this idea of passion in, in Ruth's heart. She clung on, and God calls, there's a, there's a desire for us to cling and hold on. If we hold on to God, he'll hold on to you. The Bible talks about this. Second thing is perseverance. We see in Ruth, in verse 18, she was determined to go with Naomi. She was determined. She says, where you go, I will go. Your gods will be my gods. I will not turn back. She clings. The word there means she actually puts all her arms around her and won't let go. There's something about determination. When you determine in your heart that I'm going to go for God, I'm going to give my life to God, I'm going to hang on to him, then something is released, a, 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 a perseverance is released within our lives. Perseverance is a powerful thing. We see in Ruth that she, when she held on, uh, she was gripped by this desire, this loving sacrifice, this zeal, uh, this devotion, whatever you want to call it, that perseverance kicked in then. Passion releases perseverance. You sometimes say, well, how on earth do they put up with that? How on earth are they able to keep walking in that? How on earth are they able to keep um, in that job? Uh, passion, if you, it, it, it gives a strength to persevere. And perseverance is the next thing that we see. And she said, where you go, I will go. I will hold on. There's a number of things that, that perseverance um, releases in our hearts. The, the first thing that perseverance can release, passion and perseverance together, is presence. Presence of God. Um, the presence of God. We read in Psalm 91 verse Verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91, verse 1. There's something about passion and perseverance. The desire to dwell. To dwell means you have to stay there. You don't get up and walk away. You don't flit here and flit there. You put your tent down and I'm going to make my home here. Their desire, that's passion and desire, okay? That's where I'm getting this from. So the idea of dwelling, it's in Psalm 91, verse 1. And where we persevere, where we have passion, where we seek to dwell, it says, you will be in the shadow of the Most High. We'll know the presence. In other words, you'll know the presence of God. So passion, clinging, um, uh, perseverance, where you go, I will go, hanging on, holding on to God, does something. It brings presence, brings the very presence of God of God into your life and my life. Jesus said in John chapter 15, remain in me and my words will remain in you. He talks about abiding. He encourages his believers and followers to abide in the vine. There's this idea of dwelling, persevering, being passionate. To, to abide means you need to stay, cling on, hold on, be in, hold on to God. And uh, there's this idea, even in the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, of having passion, perseverance. I think I've told this story, but Chris Bowater one day was, um, he, he had an, 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 a, a, several children, and one of his ch- little children, this was some years ago, he wrote a great book on worship. And uh, he, in his, one of his chapters on worship, he's got one of his children, he re- recollects, uh, I think, one of his little daughters resting, and she was just about to go to sleep, and her, her head was on his chest as you sometimes do with the little ones you'll hold them up to you and I suppose she was about four years old at the time or something resting in his arms something like that and um, she heard her daddy's heartbeat because when a, your, your head is on your, your parents heart you hear boom, boom. it sounds really, boom, 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 really loud and she said daddy what can I what's that boom, 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 I can hear and her daddy said well it's my heart she said well how, how? and it was in her own way well you know how can I 
How can I hear that? He said, well, you're close enough. You're closest to me than you ever be. You're close enough to hear. And then he felt God speak to him and say, and Chris, it's what, when you're in worship, when you're in worship, you'll hear my heartbeat. It's a great book. Get it? Chris Bowater. Little book on worship written quite a few years ago now. Passion. Perseverance. It does an amazing thing. Listen very carefully. Brings the presence of God. And you hear the boom, boom. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. To dwell is a difficult challenge, isn't it? When circumstance is raging around you. For Ruth, it was famine. Lost her husband, lost her father-in-law, lost everything. To dwell, to have passion, it's a challenge, isn't it? But passion and perseverance ultimately bring the heart of Father God, the presence of God. Jesus said, abide in me and you will know my presence. So perseverance then brings the presence of God. Perseverance also brings the peace of God. There are three things, and the promise of God. That's the third thing that perseverance can bring. So we looked at passion, we're looking at perseverance. Perseverance brings the presence of God. But when we persevere with passion, we, the second thing that we'll know is the peace of God. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, it says, The peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It will transcend all understanding. It will garrison your heart. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. We read in the New Testament, Jesus said to his disciples, My peace I give you. Interesting, isn't it? It's quoted a lot when, when we're um, on subjects like anxiety or fear or looking at depression. And Jesus said to his disciples, John, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, he said, my peace I give you. It's from his presence that we know his peace. Jesus said, I give you my peace. When we know the presence of God, there is something that transcends understanding. It's called the peace of God. It's so important to have passion and perseverance because it's the key to knowing the presence of God. But not only that, this is the second benefit, the peace of God as well. With all that's happening in your life and my life, is your life being shaken? Is the nations being shaken around us? Then with passion and perseverance, we will know the presence and the peace of Almighty God. How amazing is that? David wrote an amazing Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How did he do that, I say? How did he do that? Because he knew the presence. Therefore, there comes the peace. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. He walked through difficult times. When you and I walk through challenging times, through passion and perseverance, we know the presence and the peace of God. Thirdly, the, second, the third thing that comes from um, this is promise. God's promise. We'll be able to live in promise. God is a God of possibilities, a God of potential. God sees you and looks at the potential that you have in your life to live for God and to love in your life. He sees the potential that you have. You might not see it at times, but God looks at you. God looks at you and sees the potential in you and me. Not only does he see the potential, but he sees the possibilities that there are that can be released in my life and your life. Family, home, job, our town. Yeah, you know, tonight we're going to pray a little bit. Uh, there'll be an opportunity to pray. Um, you know, recently you would have heard in the news about two stabbings. Um, in, in Long Eaton. And, you know, God is a God of possibilities. He can change the heart and life of a community for good. We have a God of possibilities and promise. And we can learn to live in promise that comes out of God's possibilities when we know his 
presence. So finally then, third point and final point is this, um, that with passion and perseverance, it gives birth to the third and final thing, possibilities. Passion and perseverance gives birth to the third and final thing, possibilities. You see, if you read the story of Ruth a bit further on, we haven't had time to look at it and I wanted to, but what we see is that Ruth goes back with her mother and they settle in the land and then uh, it's the time, it says in the end of chapter 1, the time of the barley harvest. She then goes and thinks, well, I'll just pick up some scraps in those days, when the harvest was brought in and they would brought the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, as you bring in the harvest, there'd be scraps left behind called the gleaning. To go gleaning was to go looking for bits and pieces um, you know, of, the, of the grain. And um, she thinks, to, and so they would allow people to just come and pick up the scraps, really, the last bits of the grain, the bits that the, they hadn't been left behind, the bits and pieces, really. And so she thinks, I'll go looking for the scraps, really. And she finds that she ends up getting scraps from a piece of land by a man called, by the name of Boaz, a rich man called Boaz. And a bit later on, if you read this amazing story, Boaz turns out to be, when she goes back and tells her mother, um, Naomi, that she's been doing this, she says, well, that's amazing. God's hands on us because Boaz is a relative of my husband, deceased. This is good news for us as a family because in those days... If you had a relative, there's a, a kinsman, there's a point, we won't go into all the, the ins and outs of it, but it, there was a, a kinsman, a male kinsman, they could redeem, there's a possibility they could redeem the family, in other words, bring the family back uh, into their family and look after that family. That's it in nutshells. I've been a bit simplistic, but that's the gist of it. And the story goes on, that God's possibilities are quite incredible. Here they are, she's gleaning, getting the scraps, this man called Boaz doesn't know her. She doesn't know him. He looks kindly upon her, says, by all means, go ahead. And they start, eventually, she ends up marrying this man called Boaz. We'll look at the story, the end of the story in a moment or two. But God is a God of possibility. She didn't know any of this. She comes back and tells her mother-in-law. If you read the story, it's quite amazing how it works out. And it's a story of possibilities and promise. God is a God of promise and possibility. And if we, with passion and perseverance, will lay hold of him, his possibilities will be released in your life, my life, and our church. Possibilities then. We read that um, Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. And we read at the end of... Um, if, turn with me as we come to a close in a moment or two. Um, Ruth chapter 4. It says that of the children that they have, it says that Ruth marries Boaz eventually. We've skipped a lot, but this is quite spectacular. And um, he would have then took on board the whole family and Naomi and paid everything and they would have been secure for the rest of their days. But it wasn't just that. That wasn't the end of the story. You think, well, financial security, a new life, well, that's great. There's more eternal principles in God than just looking after this family, although he wants to lavish and look after you and I. Look at this. At the end of chapter 4, we read this. This, then, is the line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Oh, well, there's a name that rings a bell. This guy, Boaz, in the story. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. 
And Jesse became the father of David. Now, Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son called Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. And David is the line of Christ. And Jesus Christ, the line of Christ, comes from a Moabite woman who is a pagan. And wow, isn't that incredible that the possibilities of God are infinite and endless and incredible. This is a story of incredible possibilities. What seems impossible to you and me that could never happen, happens. This is quite a spectacular story. It's not just about the provision for a family, which in itself is amazing. It's incredible. But the provision of the line of Jesus Christ, God has possibilities for you and me. God has possibilities for our church. God has possibilities for the church in this nation. He has possibilities for you right now. And what seems impossible for God is possible. All I've got to do, and this is simple. Well, it's not really because it means I've got to turn my heart towards him. But as simple as this, all God wants us to do is line up our hearts and live in his possibilities. And we do that through passion and we do that through perseverance, which leads to possibilities. And so we see at the end of the story, God is looking today for people that will cling to him. He's looking for you and me to lay hold of him. That's what he's looking for. There's a destiny, there's a purpose, there's a wider plan in your life, my life, and our church. So when you hear them say the nations are being shaken, yes, they are. But remember, we have a God of possibilities. When you hear about financial difficulties, yes, there is and will continue to be. But we have a God of possibility. When you face circumstance that will be challenging and we all will and are and I know that a number of us are right now remember there's a God of possibility for you and for me as a church when we look on vision day remember because when I share some things that we share remember please I'm going to remind you there is a God of possibility for you and for me it's a challenge isn't it because for Ruth she clung not knowing the future entrusting her life to a lady who couldn't help her in any way but when she clung clung to God unknowingly all of his possibilities were the result of that passion oh let's pray together folks Heavenly Father this morning we open our hearts to all that you have for us I'm just so conscious that as I look around and I look up and I see and I I know the hearts of so many that we, we just need you so much Lord we need you so much. I need you more. I, I would confess I need you more today than I've ever needed you. I need you more today than I've ever needed you, Father. And may that always be the case. May I never, ever get to a place where I think I can do it myself. I pray, Father God. I think it's, it's the case of the more I know, the less I know. The more I walk as a Christian, the less I know almost. I'm not putting myself down, Lord. I just say that you are so big. You are so great. And the more I see of you, the more I can see that there's to be seen of you. And the more I look at your possibilities, the more I think and can see that there's more possibilities. Father God, I just pray as we open our hearts to you right now, that as we seek to cling and lay hold of you for our homes, our finance, our marriages, our circumstance, our livelihoods, our hearts, our lives, our church, as we just in Christian faith, our faith, We just want to put our arms around you and cling to you, Lord.
And as Ruth clung to her mother, we cling to our heavenly Father. We put our arms around you, our heavenly Father, and say, where you go, we will go. Where you go, I will go. You're my God. Where you go, I will go. Oh, Lord, for my family, my heart, my life, my home, our church. We cling and put our arms around you. And the amazing thing is this, that you put your arms around us. You put your arms around us and that we might know your presence and your peace and all of your possibilities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.